This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. A fun weekend and we head into Mariners and the Chicago Cubs going at it this weekend. The Mariners are off day yesterday, so no game to talk about. But we have a lot to get to in this version of the podcast. Scott Lindholm is going to be here, and he's going to talk about the series, Mariners and Cubs. He follows the Cubs on a daily basis. He's been on the podcast many times before, one of our favorites here on the podcast. And he's going to give us great insights on the Cubs. Cubs. This year, incredible, 61-40. and 40. They beat the White Sox yesterday, 61-40, and 40, the best record in the majors right now, playing some really good baseball. They've won a couple games in a row. They've been incredible at home this year, 32-16 and 16 overall at home. That is the second most home wins in Major League Baseball behind Baltimore and the most in the National League. So, they're hitting on all the cylinders. And, again, we'll get some more insights on the Cubs coming up. Something to keep in mind with this series, though, it's a little odd. You have the Friday day game and the Sunday night game. It's usually reversed. So Friday, actually day baseball here on a Friday, of course, at Wrigley, 11-20 first pitch. Hisashi Iwakuma will go against local product John Lester. Iwakuma, 11-6. and six. 3.96 ERA. He has been rock solid, and he'll go against Lester. 10 and 4, 3.09 ERA. Saturday again, 11.20 first pitch. Wade Miley will take his turn. 6 and 8, 5.23, and the Mariners will get to look at Jake Arrieta. 12 and 4, 2.76 ERA, and then on Sunday, Sunday night baseball, 5.08 first pitch in Chicago. Felix Hernandez. Five and four, three four five ERA, and he will go against Kyle Hendricks, nine and seven, a two three nine, and we'll get to into Hendricks a little bit more as we move through this podcast. But he is having a sensational season. What a great matchup for Sunday night baseball! The King will take the ball. This is going to be a fun weekend. The Mariners at Wrigley, and of course, with a lot on the line as August, if you can believe it, just a few days away. Mariners right now 51 and 49 on the season. Texas and Houston both won their last games. Texas yesterday they beat Kansas City and then Houston 
They had off day yesterday, so they didn't play, but they won their last ball game. Mariners now sit six and a half behind Texas coming into today. In terms of where the American League is and the wild card, the Mariners in the mix with the Yankees, a half game back, two back at Detroit, and right now three and a half back of Houston, and then sitting four back of Boston for the second wild card spot. Toronto in the mix as well. So here we go. Here we go. Big series this weekend against the Cubs. Should be a fun one. Now, before we get to Scott Lindholm, I want to play you another 24 story from Mariners.com. This is another great one about Ken Griffey Jr. and his legend as Larry Stone is featured in this one. This is great. With Griffey, sometimes it, it almost seemed like like he was a mythic figure, that he would do something that you would only see in a, in a comic book or something. 25 years from now, you're going to want to say, I was there when Ken Griffey Jr. made his home debut. His first at bat where he gets a, a double. There's a drive into the gap in left center field, and Griffey to second base in his first major league at bat. Welcome to the show, Ken Griffey Jr. And then his first game at the Kingdome, he gets a home run. Swung on and belted, deep to left field, headed to the track, the wall. He just did things that that ordinary people didn't do. 3-0 pitches hit deep into left center field, and Bishop will look up, and father and son have hit back-to-back home run. He just seems to be one of the players, got the ability to rise to the occasion. Griffey, 23 years old, and he's been in three straight All-Star games. That's well hit to left. Bonds on the run, looking up, and it is gone. That's wild. I think of the, uh, the All-Star game in 1993 at Camden Yards where he hit the ball completely out of Camden Yards and off of the warehouse beyond right field, which was thought to be impossible. Oh, holy cow. That may have hit the warehouse and they announced it did. I remember that Michael Jordan was at that game and was was one of the people like ooing and aahing over that and you know how how great a scene is that to have the mythic figure of his time in Michael Jordan you know wowed by something that Ken Griffey Jr. did and the first pitch from back is one there it goes see you later upper deck Griffey has tied the major league record home runs in eight consecutive games when he's on national TV it is showtime I don't think there was a player that I've seen in my lifetime that had a better flair for the dramatic. If it's opening night, you put on a show. Fastball belted deep to right center field. Dylan looks up and will play. His first at bat, a three-run dinger. If it's Father's Day, he put on a show. Now swung on and hit deep to right field, and this will fly away. And he has two. That was the thing with Ken. Uh, you'd go to the ballpark every night and wait for it, and he delivered. There goes Joey. The bat swung on at Nelson. Deep to right field. The Mariners have done it. Fly away. Well, one of the biggest wins ever in the history of this franchise. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. To my mind, the thing that sort of captures 
the magic of Ken Griffey Jr. was the last game in the kingdom. He hit a home run. He made a spectacular catch. The final curtain call at the kingdom for the Mariners. Junior swinging a drive deep to right field. Goodbye, baseball. He did it. Griffey going back. He's at the track. He leaps and he makes the catch. Holy cow, he got it. How quintessentially Griffey. That theatrical ability to rise to the occasion. You know, when the moment was big, he was bigger. That's Ken Griffey Jr. And, of course, remember, you can get to all of them at Mariners.com, the whole list of 24 stories that continue to come out. Still a lot to get to, and uh, they've been so good. I can't recommend highly enough to go to the website and check out the 24 stories. So Mariners taking on the Cubs, game one of three, three three-game series for the weekend. And to give us a really good insight on the Cubs this year, we're going to chat with Scott Lindholm. Well, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. We get to visit with an old friend of ours, Scott Lindholm. You've heard him here on the podcast a number of times. You can find him on Twitter. I highly recommend his uh, follow, great follow, at Scott Lindholm, L-I-N-D-H-O-L-M. Scott, it's great to have you back. It's great to talk to you. How have you been? I've been great, Gary. Thank you for having me on. I always enjoy talking with you, especially now that we're going to have the Mariners playing the Cubs here in the um, at starting on Friday. Yeah, this is going to be fun. We've talked in the past about the Mariners and separate situations there, and I know you follow the Cubs on a daily basis. We've been watching the Cubs from afar, and the success has been awfully impressive. What have you seen from Chicago this year? How good are the Cubs? Let me break down the pitching and the hitting a little bit this year because what they were doing this year, and I'm going to start with the the pitching because their pitching was borderline historic. Through the first three months of the year, they had an ERA that was around 2.4 for their starting pitchers, about 2.40 ERA for the starting pitchers. Now, when I, I said to myself, that seems pretty low. I wonder how that ranks against all the other again, in history. So I put the numbers together, and I can take the numbers all the way back in 1913, and it was among the top 10 just straight up for the starting pitchers for the first three months of the year. So I'm comparing the Cubs to teams that were playing dead ball baseball on the teams in the 19, in the 1910s and 1915. And the Cubs ERA is stacking up very well with them. And I thought, well, that's interesting. What if I normalize the data? Because while the Cubs had about a 2.40 ERA, Major League Baseball had about a 4.2 ERA. So the Cubs are almost a full two runs below the rest of Major League pitching in terms of starting pitching. And how about that? Funny thing. It's the best I could find going back to 1913. So you've got pitching. It's not a debasement of the term to use the term historic because it was it was good. It was it was lights out. It was quite frankly unsustainable because come July, the starting pitching through yesterday's games now has a ERA for the month of July of 5.18. They've run into a bit of a rough patch. Quite frankly, what they've done is they they're, they just started normalizing a little bit. But what I think in terms of pitching, what's probably going to happen is there's no way they could have stayed that good. There's no way they can stay this bad. They're going to come right back in the middle and still be about as good as anybody out there in the majors. Now, if you want me to talk about hitting a little bit, concurrent with this string of historic starting pitching, the Cubs 
from early on, we could see we're racking up a run differential that was for the ages. Through their first 60 games, the Cubs scored 156 more runs than their opponents. Going back to 1903, when the World Series started, there were four other teams that had done that were able to score 151 runs more than their opponents. Four other teams have done that in over 113 years. That's pretty special. Now, after those 60 games, they stopped hitting a little bit. I'll get into that in a little bit here. But they also they came back to earth. So what you had in the first two months of the year, April, May, and through most of June, you had historic pitching combined with lights-out hitting. How do you beat that? You can't. You really can't. And that's why they ended up running off with a record of 48 and 12 or whatever the ridiculous record they had after the first 60 days. It was simply unbelievable. It was, it was quite frankly, 2001 Mariners-like, you know, in the run that they went on when they went on to win 116 games. And you mentioned the offensive talent, and it's amazing to look around the Cubs lineup and you see so many good young players. I mean, guys like Rizzo and Bryant, some of the best of the best. What is it like to watch them on a daily basis? Well, when they first came up, when Chris Bryant came up last year, I've been told all along, oh, watch out for this guy. You know, he's going to be a defensive liability, and he's got this long looping swing, and he's probably going to strike out a lot. Um, well, that took about 10 games to disabuse that. Uh, he's got, a, I mean, actually, he did have a bit more of a loopy swing last year. He's tightened it up a little bit this year. This year, he's just, um, he's a force to watch at the bat. He did the way he just coils that bat around and watching a six foot five guy run the bases like he does is really amazing. And so you end up with a lineup that essentially has Chris Bryant followed up by Anthony Rizzo, usually followed up by Ben Zobris at some point or another, and would have had Kyle Schwarber in front of them if Kyle Schwarber hadn't been injured. You've got Dexter Fowler leading it off, who's probably the unsung hero of this whole group for reasons I'll get into in a little bit. And you've got offensive fireworks that you just, I mean, people, and then... This is the part I find amazing. Okay, then you get to Jason Hayward, who was having an off year offensively. Then your number seven hitter is going to be somebody like Javier Baez, who can stick a ball in the stands any time that he wants. So about the only break you're going to get is you're going to be able to uh, pitch against the, the catchers, and even David Ross is having a pretty decent year this year with the bat, and the pitchers, and the pitchers have about the best batting average of pitchers in the National League as it is anyway. So as it is, there's really no break. And so watching that type of young talent, oh, man, it's the thing that's amazing to me is that it all came together so quickly so that you didn't have one or two that didn't work out or one that's a little bit behind the others or, or something like that. What you have is a group that's all very much maturing, very much learning to uh, take more pitches, to take more walks, to be more patient at the plate. And it's all coming together at the same time. And that is just so unusual and so much fun to watch. Well, Cubs fans, we all know the story. They've been waiting a long time for a World Series win. What are the expectations right now for Cubs fans? Well, right now, if you just look at the numbers, I mean, the Cubs are almost guaranteed to get into the playoffs. I say that with some trepidation. But when you have five playoff slots, and right now they're far enough up, Nobody since 2012 that has as many wins at this point has not made the playoffs. So chances are pretty good that they'll be able to make the playoffs. At that point, that's when the interesting things start to happen because we've seen kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team this year. 
We've seen a team that's hitting can can come and go. We've seen a team whose pitching seems to have been kind of pulling itself out and then just managed to lose um, a couple of games to the White Sox and a game to the Brewers here, teams that they really shouldn't have had problems with, particularly when they're playing against pitchers that really weren't that great. So a lot of it, a lot of playoff baseball, quite frankly, is, is luck anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much you're able to set up your, your staffs and really whether you whether uh, enough players are are caught not going through a slump or something like that. But to be perfectly honest, I don't see anything. I mean, when the Cubs made it to the NLCS last year, I'm reasonably certain that just about anything short of a World Series appearance would probably be a disappointment because it would be a step back. Even having real, having understood the fact that anything can happen in the playoffs. Baseball is such a funny sport. It's the least guaranteed of all the sports. There's more luck, more chance, more randomness in baseball than there is in any other sport. So there are no guarantees. I am so looking forward to this series. In particular, I think Sunday night baseball in Wrigley Field. Felix Hernandez on the mound against the Cubs. I mean, that is going to be a sensational setting. That's going to be a ton of fun. Do you know who that matchup is off the top of your head? Hendricks. That's actually even more interesting then. That's, that'll be intriguing because that's a pitcher. That is a pitcher that you have not heard of that you probably do need to hear of. Mm. He's among the lead leaders in ERA, which doesn't really mean all that much to me. But this is a young guy who's really only in his second full year who does not have domineering stuff. But what he does is he gets guys out, and that's the most important thing, obviously. I mean, if you can throw 100 miles an hour, but you're throwing it right down the middle of the plate, it's going to come back at you with 110-mile-an-hour exit velocity. So he's got stuff. And so actually him against Felix Hernandez, that's going to be quite a game, to say the least. Um, I think that's something Mariners fans should find very interesting because when they hear about Cubs pitching, I'm sure they've heard of Jake Arrieta. I'm sure they know about John Lester. They probably have some recollection of John Lackey just from fabulous teeth and from his Boston Red Sox days they probably don't know uh, remember a whole heck of a lot about Jason Hamill and Kyle Hendricks is probably the big unknown that will be quite a game can I talk to you a little bit about Dexter Fowler and what he's meant as a leadoff hitter for the Cubs this year yeah this is something I did a radio spot on Saturday and so I was just doing some quick research and so what I did was um for, for folks that don't know, Dexter Fowler was acquired by the Cubs last year, and they acquired him precisely because he's an OVP guy. He's going to get on base, and that way their boppers behind him would have a runner to be able to drive in. He was always projected as a below-average center fielder, but you know they figure, whatever, we'll see what happens. He started out slowly last year, had a very strong second half, and was very key to how well the Cubs performed last year. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He got on base. He set the table so that the hitters behind him could have people to drive in. So he was supposed to be a free agent. And so the Cubs, they figured, oh, you know, we've got enough outfield talent behind. You know, we've got Jorge Soler. We've got Albert Almora. We've got other people that I don't know about. They figured, okay, we'll let Fowler go. He'll pick up a five-year, $90 million contract someplace or another. Well, that didn't happen. And so by the end, it's almost to the beginning of spring training in March. They just signed him back for one year and with a team option for the second year for a pretty affordable price, like $9 million, something like that. And people figured, okay, that's cool. You know, he's, he's a nice fourth outfielder. Well, fourth game of the year, Kyle Schwarber gets hurt. So now Dexter Fowler is going to have to become the full-time center fielder. 
That's okay. I mean, that's what he was last year. But what he did this year was he was on fire from the time he started. He was arguably the Cubs' MVP the first couple of months. He was on base close to 400. He was batting close to 300. He had an OPS almost a 900. We're talking a profile of a middle of the middle of the lineup hitter who's a leadoff hitter. So add that to the firepower the Cubs had. You had Dexter Fowler. Here's where things get interesting. He got injured on June 18th. And so as a leadoff hitter, um, when Dexter Fowler came to the plate, uh, he usually drove in about 14% of the base runners that would have been on while, when he came to the plate. So he was productive. Major League average is about 14%. He was doing a good job. Well, from June 19th to July 21st, he was on the DL. So the Cub had to use somebody else for, um, for, as the leadoff hitter. And so in that time, those leadoff hitters had an opportunity to drive in 61 different runners. They drove in one of them. Wow. One out of 61 is not a very good number. So when the Cubs went through their swoon that started right before the All-Star game, very much of it can be laid at the feet of not having their table setter, Dexter Fowler, who had been there. Because once he was gone, they weren't able to replace him, and it showed. That plus the fact the Cubs played, played 24 straight games prior to the All-Star game. You're probably going to get tired when you play 24 straight games. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So the Mariners and Cubs just made a deal. Mariners sending mm-hmm. Mike Montgomery to Chicago. Mariners getting yep. Dan Vogel back in return. Yep. What, do you, what do you know about Vogelback? Well, I can tell you one thing I know about Mike Montgomery. He gave up a home run the first batter he faced. <laughs> but, um, other, <laughs> but other than that, I, I don't really know enough about Montgomery to say anything yet. Um, uh, if he relegates some of the uh, Cubs' middling reliever arms to DFA status or elsewhere, then that's a good enough deal for me right there. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about Dan Vogelback. This is an interesting story. He was drafted um, however many years ago, about five years or so ago, and almost from day one, they said, this guy's a designated hitter. He doesn't really have a position on the field. He's a designated hitter. And apparently he took to his designation quite well because he hit very well. Mm. But what, he, what are the Cubs going to do with a designated hitter? It's a, it can arguably be stated that the Cubs already have one of those in Kyle Schwarber. Although the jury is still out, especially since he wasn't able to play this year, whether he could capably field or catch the way that he's supposed to. So what you have is somebody that was bumping up to near uh, the terms of when the club could keep him, who had who basically was built for the AL. He was built to be a DH. First off, I'm pretty sure you'll see Vogel back in my mind, September at the latest, mm-hmm. uh, possibly even earlier. It's hard to say, depending on your injury situation and things like that. But I think you're going to see him in September, and I think you're going to like what you see. I know you've taken an interest in Mariners reliever Edwin Diaz, who's really burst onto the scene and opened some eyes nationally with his his strikeout rate and his strikeouts per nine in particular. Well, let me tell you a couple things. First, I was reading the Wall Street Journal, and they actually have a very good sports section. And one of their writers is a name by a guy by the name of Michael Salfino, and he and I correspond uh, frequently over Twitter, over email about things. That every now and then, I'll feed him a story, you know, and things like that. So I'm just minding my own business, reading the journal earlier this week, and I see there's a picture. And I said, that's not Felix Hernandez. And I just said, what what Seattle Mariner is being written about? I go, that's not Kyle Seeger. Uh, that's not Robbie Cano. I said, who is this? So I get to the article. I, read, I go, 
Edwin Diaz. I said, I, oh, okay. I don't know what an Edwin Diaz is, but so I did a little bit of looking. So this, so far this year, he's faced 98 batters and he's struck out 44 of them. That's not bad. That's almost 45% of the batters he strikes out. That's a lot. That's not the best in the American League. The best in the American League is Dellen Batances of the Yankees, and then Diaz is number two. So this is a guy that is coming in and getting things done. And he's striking out people at a rate at the beginning of his career. Some of the other numbers mentioned in Michael's article, some of the other names that he mentioned for comps, Craig Kimbrell, somebody I've lusted for for the Cubs for years. Steven Strasburg, I think he's pretty good. Ken Giles having a pretty good year for the Astros so far, and Dellen Batances again. So we're talking some of the best relievers, and this guy, his profile is right up there. And so where things get interesting is that things can be a little dicey for the Mariners in terms of making the playoffs. I can answer a couple questions on that in a second. But if the Mariners, they seem to have the closer uh, settle down with Steve Cichek, and if they're willing to do that, what they can do with Diaz is they can bring him in pretty much as a fireman, not necessarily as an eighth-inning guy with no men on, but in a tie game where all of a sudden, you know, say like last night's game where, I mean, the game was already getting a little out of hand, but then the relievers just kind of blew the, the, door, the doors off of it. And so what if Diaz had been brought in and he could have struck out with the bases loaded, struck out three guys or two guys, and kept the damage down to maybe only giving up one run instead of three or four? And that way he becomes a fireman instead of just some designated guy. I think he's – I mean, anybody who can strike out almost at will – the way he is, I think really needs to be looked at in that manner. It's really amazing when you dig down in the numbers, too, because the strikeout rate is ridiculous. And actually, Mm -hmm. he's been kind of unlucky, too. Nearly half of the balls in play against him have gone for hits. And that's not likely to sustain, which is – it's just – it's amazing what he has done so far, considering especially he's been a starter his whole career they converted him into a reliever in the minors just a few weeks before being called up, and he is absolutely really? shined. Wow. Yeah, he's an amazing story. No, that that's that's very interesting, especially when you put it that way. I did notice the whip. I saw that, and that that concerned me a little bit. But then again, that could also just be a that could be a function of luck too. You never know. Yeah. So, what do you think about the Mariners in the postseason? Well, let me give you two different ways of looking at it. The first one is right now they're currently 51 and 49. They're six games back, and so that's 100 games. So since 2012, at the 100 game mark, teams that are 51 and 49 are teams that are six to eight games back after 100 games. Three of those 14 teams made the playoffs. So that's about a 20% shot. However, since 2012, there have been six teams that were 51 and 49 at the 100 game mark. Zero of them made the playoffs. So you can either go, so go ahead and put me comfortably down for the zero to 20% chance that the Mariners will make the playoffs. I'm a little concerned. The starting pitching doesn't really jump out at me when I look at it. Um, I I was very, I'm glad you told me about Felix Hernandez because I I haven't seen him and I just didn't know how he had recovered. And um, I, I'm some of the other numbers I'm looking at really don't give me a whole heck of a lot to really think that highly of the relievers seem okay, but to have for relievers to matter, you have to have a lead going into the later innings. And so the offense is, I mean, Robbie Cano's having a good year. Obviously Kyle Seager, you tweeted out, um, earlier this week, this is his fifth season with 20 plus home runs. 
So he's having a very good year. Nelson Cruz is having a decent year, but I don't know. There's a lot of firepower out there in the in the American League, and they've got to jump over you know two or three teams in order to get into the running there. So I, I think it could be a pretty uphill battle for him. Yeah, that's the trick. The American League, there's a ton of teams in the mix, which I think makes it even more interesting, but certainly going to be fun to watch. Scott, this was outstanding. I think we need to talk sooner than we did uh, from the last time, but this was great. Thanks for getting us ready for what should be a very fun weekend in Chicago, the Mariners and the Cubs. Well, I appreciate it, Gary. Thank you for having me on. Have a good day. And now Helling ready for the payoff pitch to Ichiro. Here it is. Swung on and lined into the gap. In right center field all the way to the wall. Watch Ichiro run. Ichiro's at second. He hits second. He heads for third. The relay is not in time. Ichiro has a triple. My, oh, my, what a night for Ichiro. See you later. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.